I'm Lisa Stone. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Parenting Aces. Welcome to the Parenting Aces podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Stone. We are so happy to have you back with us this week or with us for the first time if you're new to Parenting Aces. In this week's podcast, we're going to be talking about the importance of healthy eating and good nutrition, not only for training purposes, but also for competition purposes and for college recruiting, because we all know that there are very small margins when it comes to a college coach making a decision between two athletes, and oftentimes the healthier athlete, the one who is in control of his or her eating habits and nutrition and hydration habits, is a more attractive candidate to a coach. So in this week's episode, we talk with Jackie Sloman, who is a registered dietitian based on Long Island in New York, about the specifics of what a healthy diet contains, how we as parents can help our junior players become better at fueling their bodies efficiently and effectively, and also we touch on the topic of eating disorders because a conversation about nutrition would not be complete without discussing this very common um situation that often crops up among especially teenagers. And so Jackie offers us some great advice on how to recognize if our child may have an eating disorder, uh, what coaches need to be looking for, what we parents need to be looking for. So I think this is a really important week to be listening to our podcast and to get some really good knowledge on how you can help your child do better in the nutrition department. Like always, if you are so inclined, we would love for you to share the podcast with your tennis friends, uh, either on your social media or email, and we always appreciate your support. So thanks again for listening, and here's Jackie Sloman. Jackie Sloman, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast this week. Yeah, thanks. Excited to be here. Awesome. Well, as I noted in the intro, you work with high school athletes who are looking to take their sport into college, and you work with them on several levels, but mainly from the nutrition side though you were not a collegiate athlete yourself. So I I was wondering if you could talk to us a little bit about how you became interested in working with college-bound athletes. What kind of piqued your interest around that? Yeah, absolutely. So like you said, I actually have not played um, a sport officially in high school or college. I did a little recreational here and there, but the real peaked interest kind of came when I first started college and I moved out to, to California a few years pursuing a, a different degree in education. And I sort of just fell in love with the lifestyle, how interested in health and nutrition everyone was. And it just kind of turned into a passion from there. And it's kind of when all that started. And I really developed a passion for working with athletes after just seeing how invested they were, the determination that they have in their game and their play and also, how much of an impact nutrition really plays with them? And I know most parents to a degree know that nutrition is important, but understanding all of those nuances and complexities and how that can really take someone to the next level was kind of what really interested me in getting specialized in sports nutrition with athletes. Mm-hmm. And so when you first started college, it wasn't with the idea of becoming a registered dietitian. You were looking to get into more the teaching side, is that right? Uh, yeah. So my first degree actually is very, very unrelated. It was actually in 3D animation. So oh my more gosh. on the art side. Uh-huh. <laughs> big change. Big change. Yeah. I love that. And and so, I mean, what happened that kind of made you realize, hmm, maybe I need to go in a different direction? Yeah. So I it kind of clicked for me one day when I was talking to one of my mentors who was in the animation field. And we were pretty much just having a normal conversation about what a day-to-day life would look like 
being in that field. And essentially it was, you're going to be working at your desk eight to 16 hours a day, probably pretty unhealthy. And it's just something that everyone accepted. And I thought about it for a little bit. And I'm like, you know what? I don't, I don't know if that's for me. I like, I like feeling good. I like helping people. And just the idea of sitting at a desk like that with, with deadlines and just not feeling my best wasn't very appealing. So I kind of took all that into account and said, Hey, maybe, maybe we should take a different route with this. That's so interesting. You know, I, this is really off topic of where I wanted to go with this conversation, but we'll come back to the main topic, (laughs) but you know, transferring, changing majors, this is something that happens quite a bit to college students. And I think we parents, you know, we, we watch our kids go into college and we freak out over like what school they're choosing, what major they're choosing, forgetting that it's really not that hard to change majors one and to transfer schools too. If, if we find that our child isn't in the right situation. And so I, That's why I'm kind of asking you these questions. I think, you know, it's important for my listeners to hear that here's this, you know, bright, challenged, um, you know, uh, devoted, hardworking young woman who picks this really sexy field and then realizes, hey, wait a minute, this may not be the right choice for me. And you went really in a, a 180 degree different direction. Yeah, absolutely. And it it was just a learning experience. I think you really don't know how something's going to pan out until you dive into it and kind of just taking that leap and going and and seeing what works and what doesn't. And then, you know, having a contingency plan. All right. We tried something. It, it worked out or it wasn't great. Let's, let's see what plan B looks like. Let's see what plan C looks like until we find the right fit for us. Mm -hmm. And so for somebody who is interested in pursuing a, a, career in in nutrition or being an RD, what is the education pathway for that? Yeah, that's a great question. So currently to be a registered dietitian, there's a few different steps involved. So first getting accepted and matriculated into a program that specializes in that credential, because unfortunately what happens to a lot of students who are interested in nutrition, they don't realize that you really have to go through a very specific organization to get that RD, and that's through the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics. So if you go into an uncredentialed nutrition program, you can't get into that pathway. So assuming you get into a school that offers that, you then have to get um, a four-year degree in nutrition sciences. And what that looks like is in addition to learning about nutrition and all aspects of different ages, different populations, it's also a lot of hard science background. So kind of the same type of courses that a pre-med major would take, such as anatomy, physiology, physiology, um, biochemistries, organic chemistries, all that sort of comes into play. And so when you made the decision that you were going to work with teens, was there additional training or knowledge you had to acquire? Yes, absolutely. So everyone's different. And that's kind of uh, what I repeat myself whenever anyone asks me a nutrition question. Well, you know, it depends on factors X, Y, and Z. But student athletes and youth in specific are so different than any other population. Um, Picture someone that's growing in youth. So you're going to have all of these nutrition, these calorie, these macronutrient needs just to facilitate proper growth. Now, add in being an athlete with three to four hours of intense training, you utilizing all of this extra energy, this extra carbohydrates, understanding the different pathways that your body is using for energy. They're at such a unique part in their life that their nutrition is so imperative. And it's something that a lot of people really struggle with understanding and getting the right stuff in. Are there some general guidelines that you can share with the Parenting Aces audience in terms of foods that should be incorporated, foods to avoid, um, minimum calorie intake, things like that, based on, you know, if the kid is, let's say, age 12 to 18? And I know that's a huge range, but puberty sometimes even starts younger than 12 these days, especially for girls. So (laughs) um, maybe you can speak to that a little. 
Yeah, absolutely. So the calorie prescription is a little difficult because just like you said, it varies so drastically. Even two players in the same position on the same team could have dramatically different needs. But in general, what you want to really make sure that you're getting is just a balance of everything. So having those fruits and vegetables to provide those antioxidants, those carbohydrates that you're going to use for your performance, especially as a tennis player, those those fast movements, those powerful movements that relies on an energy system that's just carbohydrates. So making sure that you kind of have the proper amount at the right time is going to be very important. Having your protein to recover your skeletal muscles to help with glycogen metabolism, your dairy for your calcium to build your strong bones, everything kind of plays a big role and it's all synergistic. So really making sure that you have the proper stuff and the proper amount at the proper times is very important. Well, so let's dig in a little deeper to that. So there is a very big difference, I would assume, in eating healthy on a day-to-day basis for daily practice versus eating for competition. And I would love to start with talking about, you know, the daily needs. I mean, you, you spoke to that just, just now. Is it still kind of widely held that you're supposed to like eat the rainbow, like your plate's supposed to be colorful and that you get a variety of things, nutrients through the different colors of food? Is that still something people say? Um, so I think it's something that people say less often, but in a very general sense, it does hold true that if you're just looking from like a color perspective, the more different colors of fruits and vegetables you get, the more different types of food, the the better range of vitamins and minerals you're going to get. So in a very general sense, that's still true, but diving in deeper to that, there's a lot more to be said. So okay, as an example... So Let's talk about the day to day. So we've got a kid who, let's say, you know, they are a college bound, uh, tennis player. They are, let's assume going to regular school for, for these purposes. So they're in school from, you know, whatever time to whatever time, but they hopefully are eating breakfast and maybe we can talk about what breakfast needs to look like. And then they're probably having at least one snack and lunch during their school day, and then going to practice. So maybe you can walk us through, you know, what does a good breakfast look like on a day-to-day basis for for this particular child, let's say that's 14, 15 years old, and then what needs to happen during the school day in terms of nutrition? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm happy you mentioned that because I know breakfast is something that a lot of athletes that I work with struggle just to get in. But I will say that it does hold true that it is one of the most important meals of the day. And what you really want to be focusing on when you're eating breakfast is having that balance. So getting in your source of carbohydrates. So whether that's your whole grain breads or your rices, your starches, your fruits and your vegetables, you really want to get that in. Because what happens when your body's sleeping is some of your your glycogen or your carbohydrate stores that you're using for energy are going to start to be depleted. So when we wake up in the morning, we really want to replenish those. So that way we're energetic, we're ready to go for the day, and we have the fuel to do so. On top of that, you also want to make sure that you're getting a balance of the other nutrients as well. So having a protein source that's going to help build your skeletal muscles, help keep you satiated. So whether that's something like eggs or Greek yogurt or anything of that source is also going to be important as well. Great. And, you know, when I had um, Dr. Charlotte Alabaster on the podcast a couple months ago, one of the things she said, and and we kind of had a laugh over this, is eating last night's leftovers for breakfast is often a really good choice in the morning if you can kind of train your palate to be able to do that. Yeah, especially, you know, athletes and their families are so busy. That's go, go, go. We're running around. So if you don't have time to prepare something in the morning and you have what could be a balanced meal from last night that's left over and that's what you want to go for, I'd say absolutely. And so, okay, we've got breakfast down. We now the kids at school and 
you know, I don't know. I mean, my kids always had lunch at the weirdest times when they were in school. I mean, yes. sometimes they were eating lunch at 1030 in the morning and then other years, you know, or semesters, they were eating lunch at 130 when school got out at 230. It was very bizarre. So what's the best way to send our kids to school nutritionally armed? So I think just preparation is always going to be key. And I'm happy that you mentioned the schedules because it does different it does make a difference so drastically for each person. So let's say that you have a lunch that's very late in the day. So 1.30, for example, you're definitely going to need some snacks to hold you over until then. So a good recommendation, especially for athletes to keep those energy levels up, to keep themselves properly fueled, is to try to get something in every two to three hours. So if you're sending your your child to school at 7 or 8 a.m. or however early kids go to school nowadays, I'm not really sure, you probably want to fit one to two snacks in. And we also want those the same thing. It's it's not the sexiest word, but it's a word that I'll use very often, is we want them to be balanced. So we want to have those carbohydrates. We want to have those proteins. We want to have a little source of fat. And all of those things together are going to work to, again, keep yourself fueled properly, but also to hold yourself over, you want your food to be substantial enough that, you know, you're not eating a snack and then you're you're starving the next hour, which happens so frequently with athletes. So really getting that mix in just to hold them over until that meal. And so specifically, what are some good snacks to pack in a backpack for school? Yeah, so Typically what we or what I recommend to people is going for things that are shelf stable just because I know with traveling there's only so much things you can bring. So typically things that are going to be like fruits and vegetables that don't need to be refrigerated like bananas, apples, oranges, trail mix is a good option as well because it's got that healthy fat, it's got you can put fruits in it, anything you want. Um Natural beef jerky would be a good source of protein. Anything like that's really, that's going to be easy. It's portable. And you know what? It's quick to prepare because let's face it, everyone's busy nowadays. And the easier it is to just grab and go, the more likely it is that those recommendations are going to be followed. Sure, sure. Are there any specific like nutrition bars or shakes that you like that you recommend? That's a loaded question. I know, but that's like so easy. You know, if you can go to the grocery store and stock up on a bunch of bars or a bunch of, you know, the little canned, um, the little canned shakes or, you know, those smoothies that come in the cans. I, and I know they have a lot of additives and all of that, but are some less bad than others? Yeah, yeah. So I'm definitely someone that believes in, you know, just go with the flow. You got to do what you got to do. Um, I do always recommend food first just because it does have that synergistic effect that you're you're not going to get from that bar or having those additives in. But if you are strapped for time and you just need something that's simple or quick or portable, a good option as far as bars go would be Cliff Bars. Okay. I don't know those. I haven't seen those yet. Okay. I wonder so, if we have them down here in Atlanta. I'll have to take a look around. Yeah, you know, I didn't even think of that. I know they're they're so popular around here. They're in like every grocery store, every CVS, anywhere you go, I could probably find one. But the good thing about those bars is they kind of have the proper ratio of carbohydrates to protein that you typically want to fuel with. So it has that built in already. And I know uh, there's still some additives in them, but it's a little less so than some of your other options that are very artificial sweetener filled or just not the best quality of ingredients. Right. And I know there are tons of recipes on the internet for making energy bars that are pretty stable. I mean, especially if you keep them in the fridge at home, they'll last a few hours and a book bag or whatever. But um, again, it's that time thing, you know, and we, a lot of us just don't have the time to do all that, even though our intentions are there to make it happen. Sometimes you just got to resort to the pre-made, pre-packaged stuff. So um, quick bars, I will, listeners, I will look that up and I'll include a link to their website in the show notes. So you can check and see if they're available where you live. So, okay, so we've got the snacks at school, obviously lunch at school, um, I would say, I'm, I'm guessing same kind of idea of making sure there's a balance of 
nutrients in the lunch, right? Are there some foods to avoid at lunch, especially if a teen is going to practice directly after school? Yeah, absolutely. So that is a a big thing to consider. So if you're, well, there's two things to that. If your last meal is going to be within two to three hours of you playing practice, then having that balance and having that that good range of, you know, whole grains, your proteins, your dairy is a good option. But depending on how soon that lunch is before your practice, there's definitely things that you want to avoid. Such as? So as an example, um, having very high fiber foods like your your beans, your high fiber fruits, anything like that, what's normally a really great nutrient to have, it helps with your digestion, it helps keep you full. Eating something that's very high fiber right before a practice is not only going to give you stomach cramps, have you end up possibly in the bathroom, but it's going to slow the digestion of all of your other foods down. And typically what happens is you think you're giving your your student athlete or your child something really healthy and nutritious before practice, but they usually end up in the bathroom most of it anyways. <laughs> That's never a good thing. It's usually not. Right. So when you're saying high fiber things, so um, you said beans. Um, I know like you know, sometimes it's just you you want to swing through Chipotle and pick something up, but maybe that's not the best choice for the ride from school to practice. Right. The heavier the food is, the longer it typically is going to take to digest. And now some athletes I've met have stomachs of absolute iron. They could eat anything before they go to practice and they could be 100% fine. And then you could have an athlete that comes right after them that there are just a whole slew of foods that will just set them off and take what would have been a good training or a good game and just turn it on its head. Well, which kind of leads me to the point that it's really important not to mess around with this stuff the day of a tournament or the day before a tournament, right? These are, these food issues are things that we need to kind of work out well in advance of any competition so that our child knows what they can tolerate. We know what our child can tolerate. The coach knows what the child can tolerate and we can be well prepared once they are ready to go compete. Absolutely. So the best time to be trying out new foods or, you know, new meal plans or strategies is really going to be when you have time off. The worst thing that you could possibly do is to be trialing these things the day before or the day of a game because, you know, like we were talking about before, every single athlete is so different. And while there's general guidelines, you really never know how someone's going to respond until they just try it for themselves and see how it goes. Right. And that makes total sense. So we know what to do on a daily basis now. And so for tennis players, I mean, unfortunately, there's really not an off season. You know, our kids are training and competing year round. It's just one of those sports that that's how it operates. Um, much like a lot of youth sports these days, unfortunately. But, um, one of the things that I know with my own child who's now grown, um, is the days leading up to a tournament were really crucial in terms of hydration and nutrition. And I'm hoping you can share with us some ideas of what we need to help our student athletes do to ramp up in the days and even hours before they go out to compete. Yeah, absolutely. So that really starts, like you said, a few days before that competition even comes into play or those matches. So there's a few different parts to that. So a big thing is carbohydrate loading two to three days beforehand. Then you have your hydration, you have what to eat the night before the morning of. So I'd be happy to go into all that, but there's definitely a few different steps that you want to take. Okay. Yeah. Let's, let's dive into it. All right. Great. So the first thing, and I know we touched on it briefly, is, um, and especially with these tennis players, the main fuel source that you're going to be using during these games are these carbohydrates. So you're moving at such intense with such short bursts of power that you really are going to be relying on carbohydrates for energy as opposed to fat or anything else. It's just the 
energy pathway that your body's going to take in that aspect. So the few days leading up to the competition, we don't want to overdo it, so to speak, but we do want to start getting a good source of carbohydrates in with all of our meals. So whether that's adding in a little bit of extra breads, pastas, grains, fruits, we really want to top off those glycogen stores, which is our storage form of glucose. And we want to make sure that we keep that going. So that way, the day of competition, we are ready to go. We're, we're maxed out and, you know, we can take it on with 110%. Is there a difference when you say, you know, adding extra bread? Is there a difference between Wonder Bread and whole grain, you know, multi-seeded, <laughs> high-fiber bread <laughs> in terms of getting the body ready for competition? Or is a carbohydrate a carbohydrate? Um. There's there's a few different answers to that question. So the short answer is everything does break down eventually into glucose for energy. So in a very broad aspect, it's very similar. But how we fuel and when we fuel is what's really going to make the difference between what we pick. So if it's not right before a game or right before your competition, you do want to load up on those complex sources. So whether that's your whole grains, because they're going to have more fiber in them, the, the starches are going to take a little longer to break down. It's going to provide more steady energy over a longer period of time is what we want. The closer we get to competition, so whether that's a few hours before or 30 minutes before the game, we're going to want things that actually are easier to break down and are more easily digestible. That way we don't risk getting those those stomach pings or having that full feeling. So that is actually where you would want more simple carbohydrates. So whether that's bread that's white or very low fiber fruits or energy bars, it's kind of the, the distinction between how to choose what type of carbohydrate to eat. That makes total sense. Okay, so now our kid is at the tournament, and the way junior tennis works, they are typically playing multiple matches over the course of a day. They may start with a warm-up at 7 a.m., have a match at 8 or 9 a.m. that runs anywhere from an hour to two and a half to three hours, and then they may get an hour break and then have to start all over again. And this goes on as long as they're winning in the tournament, oftentimes for three, four, even five days in a row. So while they are at the tournament and let's say they've played a match and they've got an hour break before their next match, what do they do in that hour nutrition wise? And I mean, food and drink, um, food or drink, food. Just drink. I don't know. <laughs> Whatever you tell us. What's the yeah. best path there? Yeah. So the most important thing, especially if you're in between doing consecutive matches in consecutive games, is you really want to top off those carbohydrate stores. So making sure that you do get in something that's going to be easy to digest, that's going to hydrate you, that's going to get that that glucose in. So whether that's um eight or 16 ounces of a sports drink or an energy chew with water or getting in some low fiber foods, like maybe it's um, a deli sandwich with white bread, something that's just going to be really easy to digest. And that's also going to meet your hydration needs is really the two key factors involved. And in addition to that, you also need to make sure that you're replenishing your electrolytes as well. So the few tennis players that I have worked with, I know that hydration is such a big thing, just trying to get in. A lot of people wait until they actually feel thirsty before they start drinking fluid. And by then you could already be experiencing water losses that can lead to this fatigue, this decreased performance, and you wouldn't even know. Mm-hmm. Well, so what is the difference between drinking water Drinking Gatorade, drinking coconut water, or one of these electrolyte powders that you mix yourself, is one better than the other? Yeah, so it really depends how heavy of a sweater you are. And I know that sounds kind of gross, but you can usually tell, you know, if you're working out and you're getting that sweat on and you kind of have that like white film going on, that is you losing your electrolytes. So that's your salt, your potassium, and those are things that if that's the case, you need to replenish those can affect your performance big time. And like we said, lead to fatigue, cramping, all the things that you absolutely do not want when you're going into a game. So 
if you are one of those people, you do want to opt for a sports drink that does have things like sodium, potassium, chloride. Those are what's going to, those are your electrolytes that are going to get replenished. So that is a big priority in this case. And what about sugar content? Yeah, so that's an interesting thing. And it's something that does get demonized a lot. But sugar, and in this case, like we said, all carbohydrates eventually do break down into glucose, which is sugar. You are going to want that to, again, get that glycogen refueled, get that glucose back in your body, because that is your main energy source. So while we don't want to necessarily you know, chomp down on a pound cake or something of that sort. We do need fuel sources that are going to have those quick digesting carbohydrates. And in some cases that is sugar. Right. Right. So do you have a preference of sports drinks or is it really an individual thing? Um, I would say that it's individualized depending on what you're looking for, for people that, you know, could care less about whether it's natural or organic or anything like that. You know, the basics like your Gatorade or I, I don't know if they have this where you are either, but we have a drink over here called Body Armor that's a little more natural than Gatorade and has a very similar electrolyte panel in it. So things like that are going to be okay choices for someone that's looking for something that's maybe a little more natural or they're, they want to take the extra time and go the extra step. Making your own sports drink is also something that's very easy as well. So a little bit of lemonade, a little bit of salt, things like that. There's a lot of different options. But if you're looking for the traditional, going with your Gatorade, your body armor, anything like that, that you can see that it does have that content of that sodium, that potassium, it's everything your athlete's going to need to help them fuel for the competition ahead. Got it. Got it. All right. Well, so now let's talk about Again, during a tournament, your child has played two matches, their day is finished, and they've got another match coming the next morning. What are some things that they need to be doing at the end of day one to prepare for day two? Yeah, so the first thing that you really want to do, and I recommend this as absolutely as soon as possible, is you do need to get a recovery meal or a recovery snack in ASAP. And the sooner the better. Studies have shown that getting in a meal 15 to 30 minutes after your training or your match ends makes such a big difference in how fast your body recovers that it's it's either it, it could make or break you. Absolutely. So getting in those quick digesting carbohydrates and a little bit of protein is going to go a long way for refueling your muscles, for energy, having your protein to build them up, getting your glycogen stores replenished. So that's, that's right after the match. And then, so what about, let's say you finished at three o'clock. So you, you have your recovery meal, you know, at three fifteen, but then it's dinner time. Is there something specific that we should look to get in our kids for their evening meal so that their bodies are ready to go the next morning? Yeah, definitely. So after you kind of get that snack in, you've you've cleaned up, you've showered, you've done whatever you need to. Um, it's still a great idea to get another full in full meal in one to two hours after that. And what you really want to focus on is having a moderate amount of carbohydrates in that meal. So what that usually looks like is twenty grams. So that's for someone that knows measurements, it's about three to four ounces of some kind of cooked lean meat. And again, just making sure that we have that really good source of carbohydrate going. So we're looking for, in this case, um, a general rule of thumb, but again, it's very individualized, would be getting 60 to 80 grams of carbs and 20 grams of protein. So what that would typically look like is it could be a cup and a half of some kind of pasta or grain with three ounces of a lean protein. We just really want that combination. Again, we got to keep our energy stores up. We got to make sure our skeletal muscles are fueled, that we can repair any damage that's been done to them and just be ready to go the next day at peak performance. Well, interestingly, I'm not hearing you talk about fats very much. And I'm wondering is... Is that because we need to just avoid them altogether or is there some guideline around fats or, you know, have, have the, the recommendations changed? Yeah. So I wouldn't necessarily say that we need to avoid fats in a general sense. It's still something that's very important, 
But when you are looking to get those in, we want to moderate those sources because a, a little bit goes a long way in this case. But when we are making our meals, getting really easy, simple, healthy fat ideas in. So whether that's avocado or nut butters or olive oil, those are all good choices to make. And again, it just all depends on the nutrient timing and when your competition is. So the closer to competition you are, the less fat you're going to want in those meals, because that again is something that can be very heavy on your stomach. It can slow your digestion. So while it has a place in your everyday diet for balance, it's not something that usually takes the focus right during a competition. So having it, let's using Chipotle again, just because it's my favorite <laughs> place. I love Chipotle as well, so this works for me. <laughs> um, if if you're taking your child to, to Chipotle for that between match meal, probably skip the guacamole if they're playing again. Um, maybe even skip the cheese or. How do you feel about that? Yeah, so I would say a little, a small amount is definitely okay. And again, if this is your your dinner meal before the next day, it's certainly okay to have a little bit of fat in there. Um, in this particular in this particular example, I know Chipotle's guac is a little loaded up on some extra stuff, so it still might not be the best option. But a little bit is perfectly fine. When you're going for fat, you kind of want to choose those healthy mono unsaturated sources. So things like your olive oils, um, your avocados, if you are going to go the cheese route, trying to get something that's um, considered like low fat or part skim would be a good option just to avoid a lot of saturated fats. But again, if this is the morning of or it's one to two hours before your next match, having a very minimal amount of that is going to be key because too much is, again, it could play a role in being sluggish or cramps or anything like that. Yeah, that makes total sense. All right. So we've talked about what to eat during training days. We've talked about how to make sure our kids are well-fueled nutritionally during tournaments. I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about eating disorders because this is something that, you know, it, it, it's in the news periodically. Um, we kind of, I feel like the news kind of goes in cycles around eating disorders. It's like a huge thing and everybody's got them and then we don't <laughs> hear about them for a long time. So because you work with teens, I would say that eating disorders are probably, I'm guessing they've got to be something that comes up quite often. What are some of the things that we as parents need to look out for to ensure that our children are healthy eaters and not disordered eaters? Yeah, no, that's a great question. And it is, as you said, it's something that does come up very often that I feel should be spoken about more, but often isn't. It's either someone feels ashamed of it or they're hiding it, but really being able to identify those symptoms and promote a positive environment is what's going to be key to avoiding those and kind of bringing to light people that do have that disordered eating or those eating disordered patterns and getting them help. So interestingly, I mean, we typically hear more about females and eating disorders, but males can develop them just as easily. Yeah, absolutely. So Statistics change periodically throughout the years for what we're told, but I think currently the last I checked, um, eating disorders are noted to be occurring in anywhere from 5 to 10% of the population. And with athletes, it's interesting because it's not noted to be higher than that, but it still is suspected. And whether you're male or female, you can certainly be affected by that. Um a big thing to look out for is it's more prominent in those sports that really look at aesthetics or emphasize that leanness. So anything like skating, gymnastics, diving, any kind of weight class sport tend to be more at risk. Right. Well, but in tennis, I think, you know, the the outfits are not, um, <laughs> they're, they're kind of skimpy for the guys and the girls. And so I think, you know, body awareness is pretty high up there in tennis players. And especially again, you know, if we're talking about teenagers where they're super concerned about how they look anyway, just in general, as, as a result of being the age they are add into that, the fact that they're wearing pretty revealing clothing when they're out there doing their sport um, can sometimes lead to unhealthy views of 
how their body should look, right? Yeah, absolutely. And let's face it, no one likes it when their body starts undergoing changing. So 13-year-old you, when you're going through all of this, you have so much pressure on you, you're you're changing. Most most kids are not happy. They there's a lot going on. There's hormonal changes. Their self-esteem is being affected. There's really a lot that comes into play with that. So absolutely, it's not discriminant against any sport, any gender. While some people are more prone, it can happen to anyone. So how do we know if our kid is having issues with their eating and, and their kind of you know self-image of their own bodies? Yeah, so it could be it could be something that's blaringly obvious, like there is avoidance of food, there's someone that's constantly weighing themselves, obsessed about how they look, exercising chronically or what would be considered much more than normal, so compulsive exercise. But there's also much smaller changes that sometimes often get very missed. So things like just, you know, avoiding certain food groups that are, you know, not considered normal things like paying very, very particular attention to your portions of food or even feeling ashamed when you're eating in front of whether that's your teammates or your family, any little behavior like that can lead to what's not considered a full-blown eating disorder, but disordered eating patterns. And as those progress at either, it could just be a nuance, it could be a little something, or that could progress into a full-blown eating disorder, which not only has effects on your performance and your sport, but also your health and your growth. Right. So if you as an RD come across a client, um, a teen client that you suspect has an eating disorder, or maybe even the parent or the coach has come to you and said, you know, this child is, I'm, I'm concerned about them. How do you work with them? Um, what, what are some things that you can do to help that child? Yeah. So it's definitely a team that's usually involved in helping someone with an eating disorder. But one of the first steps to take is just building rapport, making a connection with that athlete. So they do feel comfortable sharing with you. Sometimes it takes three, four or five times meeting someone before they really feel that they want to open up and talk to you about your problems. And once that happens and once they have shared some of that, some of the stuff we would work on is not only making sure that we get you to a healthy weight and that you understand the importance of being fueled properly, not only for your sport, but just for, you know, your typical nutrient needs. And on top of that, just having body acceptance because the more self-esteem that someone can get and feel good about their body, how they look and understand that no one's perfect, but still accepting themselves for who we are, the, the much better the outcome is going to be. Mm-hmm. And it's tough. I mean, we all know about the media influences and, you know, I feel like we've been having this conversation for decades now about, you know, media influences, especially over young girls, but it is still a real issue. And I think it's really important that parents stay on top of this and pay attention to especially their daughters, but also their sons. Because again, this, this happens with boys as, as well as girls, it's not isolated. And I, you know, as parents, we have a lot on our plates and it's sometimes it's easy to miss things like, you know, a weight loss of five or 10 pounds. You know, maybe our kids are really adept at dressing to cover that up or, you know, if they're binging and purging, you know, they, they get really good at hiding these things. Kids are very crafty, but Like you said, that whole idea of having a team to help our kids get through these things, I think is crucial. And having the conversation with your child's coach, you know, and making sure the coach is paying attention too, because sometimes a coach will pick up on things before a parent will. Yeah, absolutely. Communication is definitely key in that situation. And another good thing to keep in mind is if you ever are talking and let's face it, I know there's sports out there that whether it's a weight class or again, there is a certain body type or leanness that is associated with being better at your sport. Instead of focusing on 
that weight, focus on what that athlete's going to feel. So instead of focusing on we're going to drop 10 pounds because we need to get to a weight class or we need to do something in that regard, focus on we're going to eat healthy and we're going to do what we're doing, not because we want to be a certain weight, but because it's going to reduce our stress levels. It's going to improve our performance, whatever's going to speak to that athlete and motivate them, but in a positive way. We don't want to mention losing weight for the sake of losing weight or that someone needs to get leaner or someone's going to be worse or better at their sport because they're not meeting those needs. We want to really focus on what the outcome is that that athlete's going to appreciate. Right. So in your practice, you work individually with student athletes. Maybe you can walk us through what kind of a a typical session or series of sessions looks like in case some of the parenting aces listeners would like to, to check you out or have their child work with you. Yeah, absolutely. So the first thing I'll say is it's definitely, I think it's a process and people really understanding that is going to be the first step. Cause I think when people hear nutritionist or they hear, you know, like a sports thing, they immediately think, all right, someone's going to evaluate me. They're going to write up this quick, this quick meal plan that we're going to just follow for the rest of our lives. And, and then we're going to be set. But what I really do when I work with people is I evaluate them on an extraordinarily individual basis. So the first time we meet, it's really just a lot of question asking. So understanding the family dynamic, you know, who works when, what schedules are like, what your food preferences are and what your goals are and taking in all that information. And then Being able to work, again, with the student athlete, but a very big thing that I do is really working with those parents because they're the ones that do the grocery shopping, the food, getting the snacks ready. It's it's definitely a team effort involved. So making a plan for that and then taking in all the different pieces of nutrition, because as we spoke about, it's very complicated, whether you're in your training, your off-season, competition, All of those things, nutrient timing and understanding all the different components that go into that is very important. So when I work with someone, we're not just creating a meal plan or a grocery list. I'm actually teaching those parents what those needs are, how to meet them, and then how to work on their own. So when they leave me, they understand exactly what to do, regardless of what situation they're in. So that way their athlete can be fueled properly. They can recover properly and have all their bases covered. At what age do you feel like a student athlete should be taking on that responsibility themselves? Because I know, you know, especially if these kids are college bound, eventually they're going to be in a situation where mom and dad aren't there to do the grocery shopping and the meal prep and they've got to know what they're doing. At what point do we start training them in that direction? Yeah, that's a great question. So I think the short answer is the sooner the better. And what I mean by that is get them involved at, you know, an early, early on. So whether that's, you know, then helping pick out, what you're going to go grocery shopping for, or even just being involved in the meal choices, giving them options for what their meals are, is going to go a long way to get them involved in not only understanding what's important for their nutrition, but getting them interested in it. That way, when they go off on their own, they kind of have some ideas of, okay, like I remember the importance of having my recovery meal at this time, or understanding that, hey, maybe you know, we're in a dorm room, we're not going to be able to cook all our meals for the next two weeks and throw them in a freezer. But having those those shelf stable options, or even just going down to the dining hall and figuring out what is going to fuel yourself properly. So the sooner the better. Um, I think most people are most receptive to it, though, probably around the age of 16 or 17, you know, college is getting a little more closer. It's a little more realistic. They're like, hey, like this is actually coming up. And then starting that plan at that time point so that they understand is usually a good way to go. Great. Jackie, we're coming to the end of our hour. So um, I wanted to just give you an opportunity to tell the Parenting Aces listeners anything else we need to know. Ooh, that's a good, that's a loaded question too. Hmm. I know. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. You know, I think, again, just understanding that every single athlete is going to be different. Their needs are going to be different. And 
not just basing it all on the same recommendations of, okay, we need to eat a lot of protein. We need to get this in. We need to get that in. Really listening to your athlete, understanding what works for them, what doesn't, and just trialing it out. Because as we said before, there's there's no one thing that works for everyone. So understanding, getting a plan in, and really taking the time to go through that process is going to be imperative for getting their nutrition in and just getting their performance to the next level. I don't think people truly understand the difference that sports nutrition can make in an athlete's performance, but it's definitely a big one. Well, and in terms of college recruiting too, I mean, a healthy athlete is much more attractive to a college coach than one who is sick all the time, cramping all the time, you know, throwing up before their match because they're not eating properly, right? I mean, all of these things come into play during the college recruiting process. Absolutely. And I don't know if this holds true in every sport, but when I have spoken to recruiters and coaches, they tell me that the difference between a player that's going to get recruited or someone that's not or isn't going to get recruited with as good of an offer, it can often be a very small percentage. I mean, student athletes are willing to put in hours of extra training, anything they can do to get that competitive edge. So just making sure that you have every advantage possible would go a long way in that. Sure, sure. Well, Jackie, thank you so much for doing the podcast. It's been very enlightening chatting with you this week, and I hope my listeners are learning something and will be able to take it back to use with their own student athletes and the coaches that are listening. Um, please keep those lines of communications open, not just with your players, but also with the parents and be on the lookout for anything that kind of makes you take notice in terms of things not being quite right. Uh, and if your, ch- if your player is sluggish or, you know, just doesn't seem the same as they usually are, maybe there's something going on and maybe it's nutrition related and maybe it's super simple to fix if everybody gets on the same page and addresses it and deals with it quickly. Right, Jackie? Yeah, I was going to say communication, like we said, is key. And just the more supportive and passionate the atmosphere is, the better the results usually are. For sure. Well, thanks again. And to my listeners, thanks so much for tuning in. We'll catch you next time on Parenting Aces. I'm Lisa Stone, and you've been listening to the Parenting Aces podcast. For tennis parents, by a tennis parent. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe to us and write a review on iTunes. For more information on navigating the junior and college tennis journey, please visit us online at ParentingAces.com. Thanks for tuning in and sharing us with your tennis community.